I hope I wish we had the rights to that Ludit song. I got five on it. Oh, I've been I listening to that song that. since the trailer came out, right? And so it's just one of those songs where I love what Jordan Peele has done with this movie that now I always hear that song. <laughs> yeah. I also thought about starting the podcast with like, if you want to go get crazy, let's get crazy. <laughs> and then I was going to do the red voice, but I cannot. Whatever Lupita is doing with that voice, that's that's insane. I love that red voice. You, we could yeah, probably. Was... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying it was really creepy. Yeah. We could probably throw in a clip of that if you want to get crazy. I mean, they do it in other people's podcasts. Okay, well, that's what you're going to hear, and this is the discussion we had, and then it opened with that, and so <laughs> that's what's going on, and scene. <laughs> All right, so I thought this movie was scary. I knew it was going to be scary. I know what Jordan Peele is on. He's on some dope shit. He's on some, like, next-level kind of, you know super magical alien shit because he grew up with horror films. He's always had this love for them. And when he, you know, when Key and Peele ends, they're asking him, what are you going to do? And he comes out and says, I'm going to do horror films. And everybody's head was just like on a swivel. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm. And show enough, Get Out comes around. And... It was as good or it was even beyond any of my expectations. But I've been like rooting for him since he said that. Now here we are, second movie in, and I'm like, I can't explain it. This is kind of something I always wanted, but I didn't know I wanted it. Like this entire time I watch either one of these movies, I'm like, I always wanted this to happen. I always want this stuff to happen. It's all the things I want to happen. It's spooky, it's scary, it's Hitchcockian, but it's also very black. But it's if you don't want to notice that, that's fine. You could be a white person being completely fine. I don't know how you're missing all this stuff coming at you. But anyway, like I just love that it's just all of these things that I never knew that I wanted. Right? Yeah, he's he's changing the game. I was telling you, I think it's so crazy that he's... Before before this movie came out, he only had Get Out. And after that movie, everyone's like, when's that next Jordan Peele movie going to come right, out? Right, right. Like, it took one film for him to get that sort of reputation. Like, that's insane. And then it's just like Jordan Peele horror film. Like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And just, this this film yeah. totally li- lives up to it. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I don't really compare it to Get Out because I think it's just a whole different beast. No, I'm not comparing um, them ever. No, yeah. Yeah, but, oh, God, this film, I'm still thinking, I'm going to be unpacking this film for a while. Yeah, and I, I want to go back and see it four more times. And I don't even think I'm going to ever get it right. Yeah, I know. I kind of feel like this is how I feel like thinking about Mr. Robot a little bit. Exactly. Because <laughs> you know, cause I don't I don't know where the line is between overthinking and no, that's like actually a thing. You know what I mean? See, like, I don't, see I'm one of those people who's always going to say you can never overthink Mr. Robot. And I don't think you can ever overthink us. Mm, because yeah. I got home. I got home immediately from this movie and ran down so many. I went into the tunnels under America. <laughs> I was down there in the tunnels, just like, okay, whoo. I was at my own chalkboard, like just Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> yeah. The hell out of this thing. And I listened to a YouTuber dude, like the one first one out of the gate. And, and I will go into that rabbit hole that I got into later. But yeah, you're right. Comparing his first film, Get Out to This One, is like comparing Rear Window to Psycho. Like, if you look at what, what Hitchcock did, you know, 
the birds did not feel like rope. I mean, those are just two completely different films. Like, so yeah. I feel like Jordan is stepping to it with his. He's a fan of horror films. He's also sure, yeah. he's also not he's not hitting you over the head. You said something last night, Ian, about like he's not hitting you over the head with the political message. But if you want to look at it, it's there in this movie. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's For not. Sure. It's not. You know, it's not like. You know that a, a shrill, annoying voice, but it's there, and you can't, you can't deny it. You know what I mean? It's reality. Yeah, it's in there, but yeah, it's not like it's not like so because there's so many, there's so much code switching going on in this movie for me that I love it. It's just like, but you don't, you can ignore it. It's like Mr. Robot. You can ignore all of the things that are being laid out. But you can't deny it. If you ignore it, you choose to ignore it. And that means that's on you. I guess so. But I don't really feel like it's even like that. I don't feel like it's even that choice. I feel like you just, you don't notice it. It's a trap door, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to fall through it if you don't want to. And what I mean, by way of example of, uh, again, y'all know, y'all read the spoiler tag if you came here, like, getting a spoiler free. This is not spoiler free. This is spoiler ridden. Um, as one of the tethered would say, uh, <laughs> run away. <laughs> um, so when Zora is running from her tethered from Umbre, uh, and she, and Umbre is on the top of the car and tethered's down below and the white dude comes out and goes, get off my car. If anyone noticed, and I know I did, uh, Zora doesn't even bother asking the white man for help. Doesn't even fucking mm-hmm. bother. Yeah. And that was to me like, oh, snap. It was subtle. You can notice it. You can not notice it. You know? And then the other big thing is when they start killing the white folks, the police ain't coming. You know what I mean? The police in the bougie-ass house, if the police ain't coming... You know, if the Beach Boys can't save you, NWA can't <laughs> save you, shit is fucked up. They ain't coming in 14 minutes. The police just ain't coming. So there was just this wonderful kind of dread that was built up. It was also funny. So you got the pressure points released. And then it was just spook. Everyday spookiness was happening in this film just by people uttering like simple things and saying and doing yeah. simple things. And I was just like, this dude... Well, and, and to that point, I I think the the opening of this movie and the the moment where the tethered family is standing outside of the house that was probably the two big scary sequences for me. Yeah, I think the rest of this movie for me was just incredibly unsettling, which is a whole other sort of beast like even like i think it's when it's like broad daylight and you see everyone standing around in that that line and it's just so unsettling because and part of it is that you don't see their faces and like they're like doing it along like rivers like half of them are still submerged and the hands are coming up out of the water like it's like little things like that that that's just so unsettling and creepy and it's just oh it was it was so good. It was so I I genuinely felt like uncomfortable the entire time. I did too. I mean, and also just the wacky things you would notice after the fact, like the Jeremiah eleven eleven dude, uh, his tethered version, by the way, because we see the original the the copy the above ground person, the original, mm-hmm. right, getting pulled away in the ambulance as they're driving to the beach. So it's already on. Like this is the yeah. th- it's it's happening that day, and he's the first dude in place. 
because he's like he's literally our our messenger, our harbinger of ill will with the Jeremiah eleven eleven, and he's standing there in place. He's already on the beach, like I'm in position. All right, I got this. I'm already like because you can see the jumpsuit in red, and he's got his the guy's coat that he murdered standing out there, and uh, mm. I was just like after the fact, I'm realizing, oh shit. He was he was in his hands across America stance, so mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody's been talking about this uh, this Bible verse. Uh, this is Jeremiah eleven eleven. Therefore, thus saith the Lord: Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. There's all kinds Ugh. of interpretations, but it's like, yeah. and I was like wanting to. I would never do this in a movie theater, and I don't know my Bible that well anymore. So I did not, you know, I was just the, just the itch to want to pause the film for everybody in the entire theater and go, hold up, everybody, we need to look up Jeremiah 11. 11. Because I made a mental note as soon as it came up. I was like, I got to see what that we is. Gotta, yeah, yeah. I put J-E and Google went Jeremiah 11, 11. Here's the phrase. And I was like. Yeah, every, yeah everyone's literally looking it up. Yesterday, everybody was looking that up. <laughs> So, like, and again, Jordan Peele has actually talked about how this is what how he thinks America ends in the film. It's not happening anywhere else. It's happening here in America. This is how Red decided to bring about the end of the world because the last thing she knew topside was Chud, the right stuff, uh, Michael Jackson, Freddy Krueger, and this Hands Across America thing. It was a stunt for everybody to join Hands Across America for 15 yeah. minutes to, you know, raise awareness or whatever to stop hunger. I mean, I thought it was a great gesture, but like a lot of things during the Reagan era, it was just basically a symbolic piece of mess that was, you know, very distracting in the middle of solved nothing kind of thing, but a grand gesture, which I feel like ultimately that's the flip for Red and Red and Adelaide is like you think one's going to be the victor and really it's going to go this other way. So I loved all of that kind of built-in eeriness and dystopian kind of feel about, you know, when we said America was great, this is what you get. <laughs> yeah. You know? You get yeah. an apocalypse. I mean, and I just love that whole phrase when Red is sitting in the chair in that weird fucked up way. And she's like, you know, what are you? I don't think they say, who are you? Yeah. I think that she's asked the question, what are you? And she goes, we're Americans. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? And, and again, you know, he doesn't leave you hanging. Peel goes on to explain what he means. Yeah, can we talk about this switch? Because this is really interesting. Because when I was watching the film and um, Adelaide was walking through the maze of mirrors and, and all that stuff, the thought crossed my mind that they had switched. Yeah. But then I thought, is that something he's intentionally wanting us? Is he leading us down that way so he can trick us? So I kind of expelled that from my mind because I was looking for other things. But when it turned out to be that... I was still surprised. It was weird. It was the way it was done and the way it was revealed. I was still surprised that even though I had guessed it and I was like, no, that's that's what he wants us to think. And then it turned out to be and I was still surprised. I think that's like 
<laughs> I've never had that with the phone before. I, you like, know, that's crazy. Early, like I had the same. When I saw it, I'm like, they're switched, and I rode with that for the rest of the film. I just, I just took it on board and was like, they're switched. And then that's how I, that's how I viewed the entire film. Was mm-hmm. I was just looking really closely at Adelaide. I was like, she's acting weird as shit. You know, and I just I just tracked her from the car. She was weird in the car to me. I felt she was off. There was just something about her eyes. There was something about the way she was almost just wild eyed and the way her mouth was held. I don't know. I was just checking her against her family that seemed so relaxed. And even though she was friendly, there was just something kind of like even before we got to see the people underground, I was like, what am I looking at? Yeah. And then yeah. she's eating these blood red tomato strawberries, and I'm like, I noticed that I was I I was like, why is she the only one eating strawberries? Right. Well, everyone else is eating chicken. I think it was. Well, Jason wasn't eating his food. But anyway, oh, we'll, true. We'll get to that. In a minute. We'll get to that. Yeah. So I was just like, this film. You, what I loved about it is, is he is the audience member with you directing the film. This is what I think. Peel brings to the table is that he's a movie goer. He's also uh, a biracial man who's grown up obviously going to the theater with black audiences who are always like, bitch, don't run upstairs. You know, bitch, don't go in the woods. <laughs> What's she doing? Oh, shit. Nah. You know, and that's why I love going to see films with black audiences because they're me. They're a, com- they're a long, they're a commentary that is just priceless to me. Of I'm like, yeah. And it, like also if you're like a person who gets super scared in scary movies, they take the sting out of it, you know? It's kind of a reliever. So the genius of what Jordan Peele is doing is is he's built he's building that into the movie with yeah. you. Where your yeah. characters are like like when Gabe comes in after defeating his tethered, after all of that hilarious callback to the banging on the motor. And, he, and then he has to kill off like the the white tethered douche, who is even more likable than his actual living um, real counterpart. He's like, I'm done with boats. Like he just he knows, he's got the joke. It's in the moment, and key and and not uh, key. And Jordan Peele is like there for you. He like, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a tension breaker mm-hmm. with the built-in joke. <coughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, am I jumping around for you guys too much? I know you probably had a through line of 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 notes and stuff. I don't if I'm derailing you. Then no, I mean, me right. I mean to to kind of expand on on the switch. I think, I mean, for me, every like frame and scene in this film has its own messages that are just screaming at you, and I feel like this is like just a masterclass in how you do a reveal because the part part of like mystery in your in your story you have to make the conclusion something that the audience can guess because if they can't then they feel like there's no payoff if they can't go back through the movie in their head and think oh now it all makes sense then it's not a good reveal but the reveal was so good here and and i think it's why it warrants a second viewing and and now i want to go back with that in mind watching the film um I just think the the way the reveal was executed was incredible. It was just amazing, and it's it, it's again one of those things that just makes me want to go and write. Like it was just Does so it? good. Yeah, for sure, totally. Yeah. Um, 
I think what it did for me, it did the same. I wanted to come home and immediately write. It made me want to finish what I'm working on. It just energized me in a way that um, that makes me um, that made me like just joyful about writing. He makes it look easy. He makes it look fun. It made me go for the first time in my entire life. It made me go. I think I want to write a horror movie. And I'm, mm. then I kind of delighted in that because, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be my thing. I don't know if that's my forte, but because I love science fiction a lot. I mean, it's not too far off from that. But I was thinking, what a delight for, like, young people watching this. You know, young kids who are like, I can do this. You know, it just he just makes it so, no matter what ethnicity you are, like, he just, he makes you so joyful about wanting to, like, create something and I felt that infection from this too also you used to like when you had kids in a horror film back in the day you were like oh, fuck the kids man or you'd see an animal and something you're like oh the animal like you're just so distracted <laughs> by the kids what I love about Peel is done in this movie and he's not the first to do it but noticeably in this he's saying you know the kids are not they're not cowering in fact no one in this film is clinging to each other and cowering. I mean, initially, when the the family when the family shows up, yeah, right, initially. and they're standing in the in that. By the way, before we move on from that moment, did uh, did I miss not? Did this happen? Did Lapita? Did Red do the Wakanda Forever and point? Did she do this thing where she crossed herself in the Wakanda Forever? Because you. I, have, did I not I, see I'm that? I'm not sure. I don't know. I had to see it again because I'm like, you have two cast members from Black Panther. Please let that be true. <laughs> Please that let that be true. So um, this is when they're standing out in front of the lawn. When they're standing in the driveway, and when she she dispatches them because she's in control right. of this entire Red Army, <laughs> she sends the family to all points to like storm the house. She does this thing in the driveway that looks like Wakanda forever, but her fingers are pointed up like go. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah, it's, I was it's... too, I was too weirded out by the, the little kids scuttling off into the bushes. I was like, ah, I think I like screamed at, at in the theater when that happened. I would. Yeah. And the scuttling, like, but, but as I was watching like, um, some recaps, that's when I caught it last night where they were just sh showing that scene again. I did not notice it in the theater, but I was like, did they just do Wakanda forever? It looked mm. like it. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Just like she does this, this, and I'm just like, what? Of course, Jordan Peele, he's the Easter egg king. Like he, he gets yeah. Easter eggs. There's all kinds of stuff in there. If you want to go on like just a trippity trip trip, I'm not going to do Easter eggs on the show necessarily, but go and look at all the Easter eggs that people are finding in this film. They're embedded everywhere. And everything he did this time, even more so on Get Out, there's a lot of intentional Easter eggs there. There's there's like twice the amount in this one. He has twice the budget, twice the time. He's done Easter eggs all day long. So for real, I yeah. loved that. But yeah, it did energize me to do that. One thing I loved about talking about the individual character breakdown, and and we can talk about Red and Adelaide a lot. But I want to jump over to Gabe real quick. What I loved about they they look at Winston Duke this imposing mountain of a person. And I love what Jordan does. First of all, <laughs> Gabe talks like Jordan Peele. I know that Winston was doing like an homage to Jordan because he talks like him. Yeah. Um, and he's like that kind of like black nerd <laughs> that went to Howard. And he has that kind of white voice, like, sorry to bother you, kind of like, hey. 
Uh, and you think, and when he goes outside to confront the family when they don't go away, and he goes, let's get crazy, he's putting on a black voice. But we immediately see that he is not going to be the hero of this because Abraham crunks him in the knee, and he's down for the count. Like, he does his share. He, he pulls his weight, but he's not going to be the hero. You know, yeah. little five-something Adelaide, and the kids, everybody in this family is going to have to do their part. So there's no huddled, clinging together, crying, Mommy, save me! You know, the kids are like, they grow, up, they grow up in America. You know, these are black kids in America, and nobody's looking after a point. It's like, we're going to have to, like, the kids come back. They don't just, they don't run away. Like, they do some shit, and like, I know Zora, Zora runs off and faces off with what's-her-head and comes back. So mm-hmm. what I that's another code switch. I was like, oh shit, these kids are not like clinging to skirts. These kids are part of it. So when Zora is like going into the white neighbors, uh, the white family's house, and she's got the the golf club, you know, she's like teeing up. She's like, all right, <laughs> kill one of them, and I had to kill another one, you know. And it's just yeah. like, damn. And then you got like kids doing like the killing. I was like, I loved that choice. No, forget the, the the color of their skin for a second. Just the choice to have the kids involved. Yeah. But also, it was kind of funny to see like these these two white girls allegedly looking like Instagram influencers getting their heads bashed in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was just me seeing it that way, but I was like, oh snap! So again, sorry, I, did I cut off like your flow on that? No, I wanted to bring up. Um what Lupita did with Red's voice. And this was uh, in a, in an interview. She, she, someone asked her, how did she, you know, create this voice? And she said it was uh, based on this condition called spasmodic dysphonia, which is a condition triggered by physical or mental trauma that creates spasms in your vocal cords. Okay. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. She did stress that it's not an exact replica. It was, it was something that influenced um the way she she did it and you know that's another red herring is that red is the only one of the tethered that actually knows how to talk that's right you know and even even that she has the the vocabulary of the the little girl that we saw in the beginning so again just he's he's practically if you didn't pick up in the beginning he's practically telling you you just gotta pay attention yeah yeah, I mean that, that. I mean, for me, it was like she could talk; the other ones ca- couldn't. And like, and it, it, they kind of reinforce it when Gabe's in the when the tethered uh, Abraham is in the boat, and he calls across the lake to the other one. Like, ah, he hears that noise, yeah. and he calls back, and everybody laughs in the audience. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not an animal that he's calling <sighs> to. He's calling to another tethered. And yeah. I was like, that was so, my, straight up body snatchers audience. thing. Yeah, my audience was absolute garbage. Were they? I it was they were so obnoxious. It was fun when the family showed up on the lawn and we were all screaming. That was fun. But like it by the time we got to the end of the movie, I was just so annoyed. I had to sit forward in my seat because everyone behind me was was whispering to each other and talking and trying to make jokes and just Oh, it was so annoying. Ugh. Oh. Was it a college Especially audience? When, was it a black audience? Was it just a disrespectful all audience? All kinds. Okay. All kinds. Yeah. All Everybody kinds. thought they were at home. 
Yeah, See? there was someone there was someone losing it in the front row when when Lupita started talking in Red's voice, and I I didn't find it funny. I found it ter- terrifying, but this person found it hilarious. So yeah, I I just have to go see it again at like nine a.m. Well, that's what I, we do <laughs> because we just don't want to even remotely have that experience. So we don't. Yeah. And again, El Segundo, I have to say, Beach Cities has always been. I think only one time did we get up and leave because people were just being stupid. I can't even remember the film, but I remember we, we, we bounced after like 10 minutes. We just walked out and the, and the kid was like, oh, I'm going to give your money back. I'm like, yeah, I just can't. Dude, it's, it's not happening for me because I walk out of it because I'm, I'm not going to spend the money to sit here and hear nonsense. It's one thing to be in part of a, an audience participation thing where everybody's like laughing and it's fine. And normally yeah. you do that on a second and third watch. Like I would, I would wait into like... I'd go see us the fourth time around with an audience when I know it's happening. But when it just involuntarily happens to you and that's your one of three choices of theaters, yeah. I'd been fucking pissed. I don't think our yeah. our I don't think our um audience was that bad. I mean On us? Yeah. Nobody said anything. Yeah. Well the only thing that annoyed me that people just they came in late. Yeah. You know. But but I mean it was quite as a church in there. Yeah. I think, again, I'm the only one that bugs you because I leaned into you and say stuff. But I almost leaned in and said, you know, they switched, right? And it was like, he's just going to slap me. <laughs> um, uh, just yeah. because, you know, I saw the real spider walk out from under the uh, plastic spider. The um, yes. the Frisbee lands on the dot. She's eating yes. the strawberries. She's trying to tell her kid to get into the rhythm when she doesn't have the rhythm herself. I noticed that. <laughs> I'm like, so you teaching that. this? You teaching your black child how to like not have rhythm? You, what are you, a white lady? And then like on the beach, you know, you know, I don't talk about myself, and I'm like, hmm. yeah. And, but for God, me, I look back. I look back at it now. I'm like, how did I miss it? Well, like, the thing that's it. Yeah, I don't think it's like I think it's fine that people miss that. For me though, I'm no, just, I know it's just yeah. it's just a, it's a good way of yeah. Uh, yeah, it just it just shows how good the reveal was. Sorry, I totally I totally missed it now, but like you said, looking back, it was like oh, but I did not see it coming until the end. You know where it got me? Like was was she was sitting there watching her parents in the counselor's office, and she was just studying them and watching them. She needs to draw. She needs to dance, and I'm like, and the way she's just eyeballing them, she doesn't look traumatized to me at all. She doesn't. It. She doesn't look remotely traumatized to me. She looks like she's just not herself. And I'm like, she's the other kid. She's the other kid in that room. I thought she was. I totally thought she was traumatized. I'm not saying because, like, when I'm not necessarily a rocket scientist we, either. We, at that point, we didn't know what had happened. And her eyes were house. different. I mean, like when we cut to like when she's pull. First of all, this was later on, but when she's pulling the other one down the hallway. She's looking yeah. kind of down, and then she's got these, you know, these devious eyes. I just, I thought it was just a scared girl in the, um, playing in the in the therapy office. Well, I have to say, and we're gonna again for purposes of this podcast. When I say Adelaide, I mean the used to be basement dweller, growed up yeah. on the yes. top side. Red being the girl who got switched out and had to live on the so. The Adelaide, she was a, there's something special, had to have been special about her. Uh, Of all of these tethered, there's something that she 
possessed that the other ones didn't. And because she was a young girl, I took this to mean, and I don't know if Peel means it this way, that that we've they've been the government's been running this experiment for a long time, and they went insane. Their handlers went insane, or for whatever you know. She reckons you know later on. Red says I think they all went insane, and they abandoned them there. But by the time like she's born, grown up, however, I think something's kind of like the fix is in. Like she's she's actually picked up traits of being able to think. She's got, you know, maybe this incarnation of the experiment, you know, Red is like or Adelaide. Adelaide has picked up on like this is how you can pretend to be human. Maybe she's observed through the fun house the way people are, you know, because yeah. she's obviously there and she calls this person to her. She calls her other to her. It's like, Oh, maybe I can manipulate this situation. Right. Yeah. So, and you have your notes here, the way she was talking in the, like when she was explaining to Gabe what she saw in the fun house and she's standing in front of the mirror I'm like, oh, my God, that's so good. When she's looking out the window at herself, I almost knew for sure she was switched. Yeah. Just the way she was and the way she spoke to him, just the way she would hold herself. I'm like, oh, this is not the same girl. And when she said, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And when she says she's coming for me, I'm like, yeah, because you you switched that girl out. I don't know how she had done it. I hadn't seen that yet, but I'm like. Cause you did her wrong. Cause she's coming for you. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the closer we got to the reveal, the more obvious that it, like when she's walking through the fun house and she knows exactly where to go. Exactly. And, and I didn't realize, I was thinking like, how does she know where is she going? Like it just still did not click in me that it was that they had switched. Well, like, and also when she gets on the escalator and this is the thing where I'm like, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. Cause the entire movie I'm convincing <laughs> myself that I'm right about this. When she goes down the escalator, she's not like, she doesn't look like, yeah, she knows exactly where she's going. And then when she's on the escalator, she's preparing. Yeah. She's getting ready. So I'm like, that's weird. She's like, she knows exactly where she is. And she gets on this thing calmly, like she's bracing herself. I'm like, this, she has been here before. Mm-hmm. And she knows exactly. And she also, um, just the way she walked down the hallway, she knew where things were. I just felt like from her body language, she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Um, so I went through the whole thing about Zora and the kids. So the family, I mean, also just there's some pretty funny things. The fact that Gabe and Adelaide have so forgotten. I mean, like they're so comfortable in their society, even though they don't have as much money as the white folks. They still have a lake house, but they're going to call the police. I'm like, I love this kind of shout out to get out where people are very confident in calling the police. I'm like, did y'all not forget from get out? Like, you don't ever call the police, man. Don't call the police. <laughs> but then, like, how Abraham gets in the house, because he picks up the rock with the key in it, and Gabe goes, what is this, white shit? And I was just <laughs> like, it was my favorite thing. It was like, who puts a key under the rock? And Because uh, Abraham, you know, he's a big dude, and he tries to bang the door down, and finally he's just, like, being reminded, oh, I'll just can the, just can the rock. Let's open the door. <laughs> um, they hit the ground running with this. I loved how they didn't really waste a moment. Like we had the setup kind of going to the beach and the unnerving kind of thing in the beginning, but 
the beach felt surreal. It felt like Jaws. It felt like a lot of just horror films at the beach. And then when the family comes to the house, they just hit the ground running. And I'm like, they don't waste any time. Also, okay, going back to another reason why I thought something was up with Adelaide. Gabe is trying to say stuff, nonsense, running through the nonsense that people say during a home invasion. She's like, Gabe, Gabe. <laughs> and I'm like, she knows what's up. Mm-hmm. She knows these people. Yeah. And just her whole behavior when she's asked to put those handcuffs on, it's like she wasn't even tripping. And then the way she's talking to her kids, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, how the hell do you know that? And it's just not nonsense. You know how people say this kind of shit in movies? And I'm like, don't say that. Don't say it's going to be okay. Don't say run. There's an F5 tornado bearing down on them. You don't have to tell anybody to run. Why would the, why would the writer even type that into the computer? Run. Nobody has to tell you to run when a building's <laughs> going to fall on you. But in this particular case, when we use the words, it's going to be okay, and run, they're used in such a way. They're typical words used in any screenplay, any horror screenplay, and they're used to great effect here for me. Mm. It's like, it's going to be okay. I think that means something. I'm getting to that. But when she says run, she's like, little girl, run. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, it's used yeah. in such an effective way that he does even a language flip on you that I really appreciated. Totally. He's a student of horror screenplays. He's going to have these little homages in there. So I was like, I love you. Also, just the games in the room where Pluto and Jason were, there was like face switch or something like that. Just the games were telling oh, really? you things. Yeah, there was like one called God, Who's Who. It's, a, it's yeah. a face switch game. And I was just like, what? That's what I mean. Like, it's everywhere. It's Every everywhere. Every frame has something. Like Chud, the opening, like... Uh, thing with chud it's like those are underground humanoid Mm -hmm. and also by the way the right stuff i know i'm all over the place but the right stuff tape that they had like on the tv the right stuff was in marvel in captain marvel um like she goes she looks at the right stuff in the blockbuster or whatever it is oh yeah what's up with this movie what are they saying with this movie (laughs) Is that, is that like you have the right stuff to like take on this situation? I gotta hmm. go. I don't haven't watched that movie in a long time. What are those both of those movies referencing that movie for? So anyway, um, okay. What's your next thing about it? Because uh, I'm uh, saving my big talk- argument for the end. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna talk about the score real quick. Oh yes, 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 um, yes. Composed by Michael Abels. Yes. Um, same composer from Get Out. And apparently Get Out and Us are the only films he's done or the ones I could find. He did additional music for the film Detroit in 2017. Um, but I think it said he on his page he works at a um, music school in Santa Monica. That's cool. So oh, wow. yeah. so Jordan's giving him a shot to do his thing. You know, it's like, know somebody. Yeah. This is his, who he knows. And so, it was really, this music was, I mean, like from the very beginning with the opening titles and you have that like really weird like children's choir, you know from the get-go that you're in for a weird time. Yeah, and we've like, got that shining homage and we're going through the trees with that score. I'm like, oh, we're just getting yeah, started. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah, it was it was so good. I think this, this score is 
is ultimate proof that you can create quote unquote scary music with traditional film orchestration as well as other unconventional instruments. But I mean, it's very easy like for horror movies to rely on, um, you know, a lot of effects and big loud noises and scary pianos. But, you know, Michael Abels is like, I can do the same thing with an orchestra. And he I did. love what he did. I love what he did. I mean, and he did so, like so cool. the typical thing. Like we were watching the trailers for this thing and I'm like, yeah, I'll just need to shut the fuck up with you bullshit fucking white nonsense because <laughs> get out of the way. The master's here. And what I love about the score at the end we're not taking a ball peen hammer and slamming it down on a grand piano and a jump scare. We get it. Yeah. There's gonna be a yeah. nun behind the door. Always a chick with a whipple on. Can't go wrong. She got a gray face. Woo! Scary. <laughs> I mean, I watched that happen over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm not even scared by that now. But this person, this 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 uh, composer was like, no 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 no. And then he brings in a little bit of the funkiness. So it's like a score, and he got some funk and some drum beat. That there's that score when Adelaide is about to. Um, before we get into the the remix of the Lunet song, got five on it, mm-hmm. um, there's that part where she's coming down the escalator and there's just like, da, 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 da. there's like a percussive thing on top yeah. of the score and I was just like, dang, snap, I'm going to like download this soundtrack just be- just for because of this composer, man. Not the sound. Yeah, but the, like I've been listening to, to to some of it, and it oh, it's just so good. Oh, yeah, the so my favorite musical movement of the film was when Adelaide and Red were fighting in the hallway, and um, ironically, the the name of that track is called Pas de Deux, which is is a dance for two performers. Oh wow! Um, in, in ballet. Um, and and that's the title of the cue. And 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 when you're watching it, it definitely is to be meant to be sort of a dance slash fight, because um, it's intercutting with you know Adelaide dancing and everything. So it was I don't know. It was just so cool. I loved when I was it. Listening to it. I loved the way Lapita. I I mean she did such a good job. I was just I was not even tripping on the fact that she's the same person. She, her Adelaide and her red were just gorgeously acted. They were just beautifully done. Yeah. I love the way Red, you know, remembers the top side. So she's even more fucked up by what she's lost. Her little her speech there about, you know, I had to have toys that were cold and cut my finger, the girl's fingers. You know, she talked about it in that kind of distracted, disjointed no, mm-hmm. I'll find the word. Um the way the distanced way because it was so painful you know when the girl met the prince and that whole thing i was just like ah not just the voice but then when she ran in the hallway with like the yeah. lower half of her body i'm like what's yeah that about the body language yeah i don't get it and i loved it and it was just so fucked up and then adelaide was like I remembered being down here and this is crazy and I've lo- I'm come off of my game because she's taking these swings at Red who's just just definitely just just getting away from her. I'm like, "Oh, this is this yeah. is crazy." But then when she defeats Red and she runs the poker through her chest and she whistles, I was like, "Oh, I've killed the wrong person, man. The wrong person in this scenario is dead." Mm. You know? She's she's wreaking her havoc upon this. She's like, you guys, when her whole speech, when she's cutting up the paper dolls and that whole beautiful, uh, by the way, is that a Scorsese thing? That's an old filmmaker's trick that you would see in like 60s and 70s films where you had the forced um, 
perspective of Red's face yeah. up close with her across yeah. the room. That, uh, it's a Palma. De Palma uses that a lot. He used it in uh, Taxi Driver. He uses it in a lot of his films. So that's a De Palma shout out. I was like, dang. Yeah, that was Palma really cool. Up I in noticed here. We're getting that. Yeah. Some Cape Fear shit up in here. And um, and her just saying, you guys, you know, you you had your chance and you you ruined it. And so I didn't I didn't wasn't going to just kill you. I needed to make a statement. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that was so well done and choreographed. So you had story and movement and score. And I was like, this is just masterful. And then the rabbits and the long hallway and the the sort of the, the shout outs to it felt like the shining a little bit. It felt like a lot of films all kind of wrapped in one with the colors and the cages and, yeah. and the pop of red and the white with the blood on it. I'm like. Bitch is just making masterpieces. Like every time he <laughs> shows real. up for work, I was like, <laughs> dang. So he probably saw some young talent in this composer and was like, or t- saw talent in this guy and said, you get to have your time too. step up. You know, does anybody know what Zora was listening to on her headphones? I don't know. No. I feel like it was also if we listen to it and I'm going to go, dang, and I'll pull it up on like one of our future podcasts. I'm going to go off and find out what that is. I was searching all last night about what was uh, she listening to because I felt like she was listening to some like dope, deep, old school like singer. Hmm. And there was probably a foreshadowing message in that shit. There had to be. I feel like Zora was on some type of like enlightened place you know yeah it was tripping on the fact that this girl was wise beyond her years kind of thing and like knew what was which up. i yeah which i like because it kind of subverts the uh the phone obsessed teenage girl we so often get in these kinds of films right um but she so. was like listening to like some you know my angelo spoken word stuff and like <laughs> i felt like she wasn't just being because she she totally you can see her relationship to the twins is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not fucking with y'all. I mean, I know our parents may be friends, but I don't, you could just tell mm-hmm. she wasn't being rude, but she wasn't like into them. So, yeah. And I mean, when she's talking about how, like, do you guys know the government uses fluoride to control people? Yes. Like, and we're like, okay. <laughs> and that was also our first kind of uh, Easter egg of like this government experiment underground. I was like, so we're starting yeah. with this whole thing about tunnels. Then she says that in the car, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. I, w- I was going to ask, I was, when I first saw this, I was confused because when they're both, when Adeline and Red are in the classroom and the reveal is sort of happening and it's showing us, it's cutting back and forth between Adelaide with her parents um, walking through the carnival and, well, I guess it's Red. Oh my God, this is confusing. I know, right? <laughs> The like walking through the carnival and then the tethered walking through the tunnels. I thought for some reason that Jordan was trying to tell us that she was in the tunnels the whole time and she sort of fantasized all of this to sort of deal with it. And then it didn't turn out to be that. But then is there a weird mirroring thing going on between these two worlds or is it just like a storytelling device? device to show us that everyone has their clones no i i took well i think it's both those last two things i think that it's a mirroring 
with your clone. Like, I, I feel like it's uh, when we're thrown off by Red saying to Adelaide to control those up above. And again, it's an experiment. So it's not like they had the, the complete upper hand. Otherwise, they would have taken over a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like they were practicing. But what I think we're seeing with like buying the shirt and them on the roller coaster and all that stuff, I think that's them literally mirroring what's happening between the worlds. And maybe there's part control going on and maybe there's part influence either way, hmm. right? So I feel like Red is, um, Ad- I'm sorry, Adelaide. In this case, Adelaide is the girl underneath who's in the ratty faded black shirt is literally pulling. She's trying something out, right? She's close yeah. at hand. She's right above me. Maybe she's been there every year before, all the time, but she's going to lure her tethered down to her, and it works. I think it was just like some fluke that she got her to show up. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Maybe she's tried it before. Maybe it's the first time. I don't know. But And that, and you know, that would explain how Jason is able to sort of control Pluto to go back into the fire. Because I do remember Jason being is very confused with that. Yeah, yeah, you believe that Jason is, actually. Jason. Wow. Well, um, you can no, get into that, because that was that was the last of my notes, if you is want. That last, well, I'm just going to say, you know, they fucked up Santa Cruz. I wonder how Santa Cruz is feeling about, like, is Santa Cruz just going to hang a banner? No one's Santa Cruz. They're so chill. They're probably just loving this attention. Did they? I'm, I'm assuming they filmed in Santa Cruz? Yeah, I think they did. That looks like Santa yeah. Cruz to me. I'm pretty sure they did. I think they actually shot, because the, the opening thing of, of on the boardwalk, that's the Santa Cruz boardwalk. That's exactly where they shot the opening of Lost Boys. So that was a direct shout out to Lost Boys. Um, mm. So I feel like they shot a, a good portion of this in Santa Cruz. And I just love how they just, just white people just laying in the streets. Santa Cruz. I'm like, I know black people died, but they just make a point to show all the bodies seem to be like black people. I mean, white people. And I'm like, okay. Um, I like how it's, it's, you know, it's Santa Cruz. It's like liberal California town. Yeah. Again, we're not, you know, we're not going to go and poke fun at the, the right is too easy. We're going to take another pot (laughs) shot at kind of like the liberal West coast dwelling folks. Yeah. Right. Um, there is a theory. I'm probably wrong. Me and this YouTuber are on some crazy shit where we think that Jason and Pluto got switched. Maybe not last summer, maybe a few summers ago. Yes, I know that the, that Pluto's face being burned is a shout out to Freddy Krueger, just as the one glove, you know, the glove that they all wear and the Red Army um, the tethered army is de- definitely a, uh, is not only a Michael Jackson shout out, but a Freddy Krueger shout out. I don't know where those scissors came from. Would you give a bunch of experimental um, subjects razor sharp golden scissors? Did they make those themselves? Did they? I mean, they're they're basically simple, and they grunt at each other, and she's in control of them. Are they down there smithing? I, I'm sure there's something <laughs> symbolic. I mean, like, why sure. scissors? Like, why not knives? Right. Like, why oh, is it? Yeah. And again, yeah. I think there's another shout out to scissors and a couple of influencing movies that influence um, this film, like Dead Again, where scissors play into it. Scissors are used in a lot of ways to, you know, psycho and stuff like that. So 
I don't know. I mean, but, I, I think it's maybe it's a, like a thing like you're cutting the tether or something. Yes, definitely like has a lot of symbolic like that. But practically, and like, how did she get all the red jumpsuits? I mean, it did, she did have 30 years and she was, um, you know, clever and resourceful. She actually mind controlled millions of people through the tunnels. So who knows what happened there? But uh but I still love the visuals, and I'm not going to overthink it. And that's where I'm going to depart and go. It doesn't matter where she got the the scissors and the all those kinds of things. I do love that the scissors are deer antlers from Get Out, and then the ovals are the bunny ears. I loved how the scissors mm. directly shout to both films at the same time. Come on, they're iconic. So, and in and probably knowing Peel, he'll come along three months from now or three weeks from now and just drop like some knowledge about the scissors or scissors and we'll all be like, what? <laughs> but before we get to that ending, that chain of people, that wonderful iconic ending, and I I think from start to finish, this thing was iconic in visuals. There is the theory that Jason and Pluto was switched. And I feel like Peel is leaving that up to interpretation. I don't think he's emphatically saying they're switched. But when we got to the moment where Jason was walking backwards to walk Pluto into the fire, I was like, is it a mirroring? Is it a controlling thing? Who has the upper hand here? Was Jason kind of trying it out with him? You know, like, can I control him? Can I, I see that he responds to me in the same way. Did he just figure out the magic trick of controlling Pluto and that would become his magic trick of this summer. You know, seeing how he, you know, I feel like that's probably more that than the other, but there were a lot of clues that maybe they were switched out. Like he couldn't remember the magic trick from last year that he wasn't eating his food just like his mom. That... Well, Red, I I yeah. t- I took that all those signs to to sort of um, I took that to mean that he inherited some of Adelaide's more primitive traits from living in the tunnels. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm I mean you do have a point about that magic trick though, like how we, I mean how it we could be. That. I feel like it may not. It it would be interesting to know that that's that was the baboom. But I don't now in the light of day. Last night I was just all like, yes, I was convinced and like in our text thread, like of course this is. But now I'm not so sure in the light of day. I'm not so sure. I know. I just I liked I liked that theory last night and today I'm like, yeah, I like it a lot less. So I don't know, but I do know that we do know at the end that. Well, I think that Jason sees that his mom is not right when he sees her um, straight up kill the second twin again with uh, a large cast iron skillet, by the way. Uh, There's got to be symbolic in that. You know, the White family bought it trying to like learn how to cook some fried chicken. They probably sucked at it. (laughs) They got this cast iron skillet just laying around. Um, And she picks that up and chooses that as her weapon to kill the twin. Again, you don't have to notice that, but I did. And he sees her like making these guttural noises when she's killing yeah. this girl. And he's like, I mean, I know it's an unusual night and the world is probably ending, but isn't that some shit? And then later on when she's actually choking Red with the same handcuffs that was put on, she put on her. Again, this, those, those handcuffs were just screaming at me from the very beginning. I'm like, 
these handcuffs are so specific. What do they mean, right? Yeah. So that's all the way through this. But um, and like, why does she have handcuffs? And did they did they melt down their handcuffs to turn them to the? <gasps> did they melt? Were they all chained and shackled at one point? The tethered. Because it was gold, brass-looking handcuffs that were very specifically yellow handcuffs, a yellow metal. Did they take their shackles and turn them into scissors? Were they shackled just walking around down there? Well, they were abandoned long ago. It's been 30 years. At one point, were the tethered shackled to their beds, shackled somewhere, and they got loose when the masters died or ran off or were overtaken, and they melted those down and turned... Mm. I, I think I might have just figured something out. <laughs> oh, I have to see it again. I mean, the scissors are not there for nothing. Like, he didn't yeah, just... Yeah, no, that we can agree, yeah. And maybe the the red uniforms were the were the people who controlled them. Maybe the uniforms were the the workers because there's a shot of them I'm sorry I was on Adelaide thing and red thing but now I'm tripping over here. So remember there's a shot of all of them gathered around to watch the ballet dance of red doing the ballet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To mirror Adelaide is and they were all dressed in kind of like looked like basic regular clothes from the 80s kind of like office wear that was sort of tattered and ratty looking. And now all of a sudden, you know, she says, and it took us a while to organize. And they're all like neatly in their beds and neatly putting their clothes down at the foot of their beds. Did they take the clothes of the workers? Was there a revolt? Hmm. And they took, you know what I'm saying? The lab workers' uniforms became then their uniforms so they could be uniformed. Ooh, I think I think you have might have figured something out. <laughs> I might have figured something out. I figure that's where it comes from now. Now this makes sense. And the gloves could have been the gloves of like the lab workers. They were full yeah. formed gloves at one point, and maybe they didn't have that many. And everybody, she said, everybody just needs the one, and she cuts off the fingers. And she's showing she has an acumen for a talent for cutting she's cutting paper dolls something she would have learned as a kid she translates that into like making the uniforms and showing the others because they do follow her they see that she's special so she now controls them she literally is telling Mm -hmm. abraham this mountain of a man when to go and fetch and she knows the clickings and all this stuff again all those noises by the way i don't know if you've been about rabbits but rabbits click and make little noises at each other like that. They sounded like rabbits to me. That was rabbit speak. So nice. Their source of food was also how they learned language once they had been long abandoned. So I was like, they're clicking at each other like rabbits. She's like to them, and I'm like, the way their their feet sound on the ground. Maybe that's run. So I was like, oh shit, we just this whole language thing. I was just tripping on that thing. So I don't know. I feel like we might have found part of the answer because those gold cuffs, I'm like, why are you showing this? Not just shackling and and being held and bondage and all of those obvious imagery, but there's something to that. That, totally. yeah. Word. We figured out the scissors, I think. Any other observations? 
Uh, that's it for me. This I just really want to see it again. I want to see it again too. I feel like we're gonna like go see it again and go. Can we do us part two of the podcast, <laughs> or we'll be assured that we know that we were on some stuff because I really wanted to. Uh, I wanted to see it again before we did the podcast, but I also didn't want to let the weekend go without um, putting this out there because. Yeah, I want to see what you guys think about it. Do Do you guys have observations? Did you see stuff that we didn't see? Are we making more of it than actually happened? Uh, how many things did we miss? Do you have your own theories? We'd love to hear from you. And the way to, to tell us about your theories is hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up there. We're at Ashland Podcast on Twitter. We're also Ashland Podcast on IG. We do accept DMs. A lot of people reach out to us that way a lot of times. On our Ashland Podcast uh, Instagram account, you can DM us there. You can also write to us at ashlandpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also hit us, uh, hit us up on our Facebook page. That has a lot of room to share your theories. You can either message us or you can just plop it right there um, on, our, um, on our thingy in the window, in the inbox thingy. Thing, you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, on Facebook, we are Ashland Podcast as well. We're Ashland Podcast everywhere. You could also hear the, uh, the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, um, TuneIn, and Spotify. But if all of that is not your jam, you can find us at ashlandpodcast.com where all of the podcasts are for free. They're for, for free everywhere. But if you just don't want to mess with any of that and all you just want to remember is ashlandpodcast.com, come holla at us there. We're available to you. Um, that's going to be it for this podcast. We are going to be hitting you up with our weekly podcast, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, just remember, in the end, we are all Americans. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>